Thank you so much. I can see you. I can see you all now. Can just imagine this. If the rapture happens tonight and you're all gone and I'm left behind, that'll be my screen will go all blank. Just imagine that. I don't want to be left behind. Neither do you. It's always a, a timely reminder that um, about the rapture, and I'm always excited when people talk about the coming of the Lord and and um, how close we are to that uh, blessed hope and that wonderful, wonderful event that's going to take place sooner rather than later, I believe anyway. So that's it. We're just going to run through very quickly on um, uh, to review what we did um, a couple of weeks ago. So we discovered that, that there's only two ways you can um, divide the, God, the, the word of God, and that's the right way or the wrong way. It's a bit like um, uh, there's only twice you can preach this gospel, um, either in season or, or out of season. There's no other time in your life where you can preach it. And so you, I, have, I hope that all of you are equipped with the gospel so that you don't run in vain. So you can run with that gospel. No point having all this knowledge and then you do nothing with it because that um, is detrimental to your existence as a believer. The whole reason of uh, doing this right now is to equip all of us to share the gospel at, at any given time. Uh, speaking of sharing the gospel, right, this is a bit, a bit, a bit whack, a bit weird. Uh, a few years ago, I was biking home from work. And so coming down the Karori Hill, those of you who know Karori Hill, I got hit by a car. There's a car cut across in front of me, driven by a teenager. And I hit the front side passenger and then airborne, somersault over the bonnet and landed both of my knees on the asphalt. My head hit the asphalt as well, rocked back. And I was, I've never, ever had so much pain. So I got up in front of the mall, as that was happening in front of the, the church. The church is not there now, those of you who know that area. And so I managed to just drag myself, I couldn't stand, drag myself to the footpath. And then the ambulance come, the, I'm not sure if the cops were there. Uh, and there were a few people there. But the first person that caught my eye, uh, the corner of my eye, and I'm pretty sure it's him, was the driver of the car. This is really, <laughs> I don't know why I think of this, but the first thing I want to do in so much pain is I want to go and tell that person about the Lord. I want to get off. I want to, I want to re I really want to feel sorry for him. Here I, here I am in so much pain. I feel sorry for this young man. And all I wanted to do is to go and tell him about Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that weird? And, and so the story goes. And then the following day, I, I got, someone got the, his details. So the following day, I rang him up, or I rang up the, uh, his number, and the dad answered. And I explained to him what's going on. And I, <laughs> here I am going, is your son okay? Uh, I got hit by his car last night. And he said, oh, that explains why the car was parked on the other side of the road, but we couldn't see the damage. And so, but, but what I'm saying is, even when the, the, the going gets tough, you always have to take the opportunity. <laughs> but the opportunity didn't uh, come off at that point because I couldn't get up and, and go and tell them about Jesus. Anyway, that's a little bit of testimony. So we see from Mark 19, two weeks ago, and Acts 2 and Acts 16, that they all asked the same question, but they received different answers. So we went through that. 
And the, and the question was, what must I do to be saved? And they all have different answers, but we discovered that you all have, all the answers were right. Jesus was right when he said to, um, to the uh, young ruler, uh, keep the commandment because he was born under the law and he was right to quote that. And we, we did discover there's only six commandments that, were, that Jesus out of 10 that he gave to the um, uh, rich young ruler. In Acts chapter two, we see also that um, by extension from John the Baptist, that Peter preached a stirring message, the same thing. Um, what must I would do to be saved? Peter actually uses baptism there. And then in, um, in Acts 16, uh, Paul uses um, just believe and be baptized. So we move on from there, and then we try and, um, and put this in some kind of order. So if we go back to Abel, we discovered that the gospel according to Abel starts with Abel, finishes with Abel. Same thing with Noah, starts with Noah, finishes with Noah. Abraham with the sacrifice of Isaac started with Abraham, finishes with Abraham. And then we come to the period called the law. The law was given to Moses at, the, at Mount Sinai, started with Moses and ended with uh, John the Baptist. And from then on, John the, ba John the Baptist was called um, John's gospel. And that gospel is the gospel of the kingdom and it has a Jewish flavor uh, to it. And so we also uh, discovered that, uh, but it's still not the gospel we preach today. It's still the gospel of the kingdom. It's not, we have a much simpler gospel, right? And so they were tasked also with uh, taking that gospel to uh, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Who are the two people, group of people that they had to, to um, not to go to or to miss out? The, us, the Gentiles, and the Samaritans. Samaritans are the half-caste I discovered. And so that's the beginning of the gospel of the kingdom. They only need to go to the, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But in, in Matthew 28, we discovered that now they're, going to all the world, but it's still the gospel of the kingdom. It is not the gospel we preach today, but it's the gospel of the grace of God that was revealed to Paul. So now we come to Paul. So Paul was uh, saved in Acts chapter 9, and we, we read that last week, and Paul received all his messages, all his uh, revelation uh, and mysteries in the desert in Arabia. And after three years, he went up to Jerusalem by revelation, remember that the Jews will not take any other gospel, but the, either the law or the extension of the gospel of the kingdom. So there's a bit of a, um, um, and Neil and, and, and Peter were talking about this, there's a bit of transition, or this a little bit, in my, in my view anyway, there's a bit of a mixture around that time and around those churches, because the Jews were keeping the law, but then they come in the gospel of the kingdom. So now Paul comes in with something completely different, that throws everything out of whack. And so Paul, after receiving all this gospel, the, um, the, all these mysteries, including the gospel of the grace of God, after three years, he, he has to go and only confer with those of the hierarchy, that is uh, Peter and James. And he stayed there for 15 days, two weeks and one day. And so afterward, he went back, he went back and after he had the meeting with Peter, Peter was so excited about it because he saw a vision uh, that translated to what Paul uh, was talking about. But then Peter asked Paul, how long is it that he's going to hold on to this before he goes, comes back to Jerusalem and tell the rest of them? 14 years. 14 years he um, held on to those. And then he went back up to Jerusalem. And we pick it up on um, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also to, took Titus with me. In okay, verse 2, and I went up by revelation. 
So Paul doesn't do anything but un, uh, unless it's revealed to him and communicated to them, that is all the disciples now, all the apostles now, that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, is by any means I might run or run in vain. And we talk about running in vain already. And so we move on to, to verse uh, 6 of Galatians 2 again, verse 6 to verse 12, if you have your Bible. And this is, um, so try and get hold of this one, because now that Paul has seen everybody and has a meeting with them, they are going to go out and take this grace, but by specialization. Uh, in verse 6, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised, that is, the, uh, us the Gentiles, had committed to me as the gospel, they're still the same gospel, are we following? As the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, it's still the same gospel, circumcised are the Jews. So the, the gospel that was committed to Paul, also now it's committed to Peter, still is the same gospel, gospel of the grace of God. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also effectively worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. So now in verse 9, and then when James, Cephas, and um, John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace, there we go, that's the grace of God that had been given to me, they gave me, and this is the Jews, they gave me, that is Paul, and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So praise the Lord, they're taking the same gospel to both the Gentiles and the Jews. All right. And, and verse 10, they decide only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. And poor Peter, in verse 11, now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to blame. For before certain men uh, came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. You see what's happening. Peter loved the Gentiles. He was, he was fellowshipping with them. He was eating with them. He was, he was one of them. And that's a good thing because now he's taking the gospel and sharing it with the Gentiles, being a Jew. But when they came, <laughs> he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who were of circumcised. And you, you see what happened. So Peter was one of those apostles who were running with the hares, as Paris Smith used to say, and hunting with the hounds. That no matter where you are, you're always trying to be like the people you're with. So don't be that person. Stand up for the gospel and stay strong. Don't play a fool. All right. So what is this grace of God all about? Ephesians chapter 2. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, please. Verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8 to 10. So this is the grace of God. For by grace you have been saved. There you go. You're saved by the grace of God. Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Nothing you do is going to save you. It comes from God. And notice in verse 9, not of works. Your works isn't going to save you. Your work shows that you're saved. 
lest anyone should boast. Think about the, this gospel of the grace of God that was revealed to Paul. We are, we're all aware of this now. It's the only gospel where you have to do nothing to be saved. If you go back to, to Abel that we mentioned just before, Abel has to kill a sheep. Noah had to build an ark. Abraham, he almost had to kill his son. Moses, he has to keep the law, all 613 of them. John the Baptist has to, be, to baptize those that are following him, and by extension, Peter as well. So you see, they all have to do some work in order for the people that are listening to them or themselves to be saved. But praise the Lord, under the grace of God, you do nothing at all to be saved except open your mouth, repent, believe, and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. All right, so we move on. So how is one to be saved under the grace of God? Three things. Number one, repent. In Acts 17.30, God commanded everyone everywhere to repent. Number two, you must believe that Jesus died and rose again on the third day. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That is Paul's message. And thirdly, this is the most important part. You must receive him. You must ask him. You must receive him into your heart. This is where the mystery is. Christ in you. Turn to Colossians, please. Colossians chapter 1, Colossians 1. This is fantastic. I love this gospel. When I first heard this, I, I got it. I got it the first time. Colossians 1, 26 to 27. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations. And you believe that. Notice that it was hidden from Abel. Going back to that, it was hidden from Noah. It was, Abraham didn't know about it. Moses didn't know about it. John the Baptist, or, or even Peter until Paul came on the scene. And the later part of that, verse 26, part two, but now has been revealed to his saints, to us. Praise the Lord. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of his, of the glory of this mystery. So it's a mystery. Among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, Praise the Lord, the hope of glory. But you see, as we already talked about, none of the people above in the Old Testament know that Christ wants to come and live in, in them. But Christ is not going to come and live in you unless you ask him to come and live in you. That is the mystery. That is a wonderful thing. That's why it's called a mystery. It's something that only happens in your heart. You know, and something that only happens as an individual. Only you know what it's like to, be, to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. No one else will have that experience but you. Are we clear? That's why, it, this is amazing. That's why it's called a mystery. A mystery only happens in your heart. No one else has the right to have, I mean, no one else knows what that mystery is like. So we also see this Christ in you in, in Galatians chapter uh, 2 again, verse 20 to 21. Galatians 2, 20 to 21. For I have been crucified with Christ, and the life which I live, which I, I now live in the flesh, 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. So it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So Jesus must come and live in you. But you have to ask him to come and live in you. So now that you're saved, so what happened? What happened now that you're saved? Two things happened. You had the inward witness, right? Turn to Romans 8, please. Romans 8, uh, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So his spirit came into us, the Holy Spirit of God, although we did receive Jesus, but Jesus came into us by his spirit, bears witness with our spirit. Now that inward witness takes place. So it's something that happens very deep in your spirit that only, again, that only you know. And the second one is the outward witness. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, it's a wonderful thing when the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit. Something takes place in you that you feel different. And I, and I know that you all know this if you're born again. Something really take, takes a hold of you that you're not the same anymore. All those, whatever the, is that you feel that I know, I, I know by experience and I know you know too. But the outward witness in 2 Corinthians 5.15 Therefore, if anyone is, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So that outward witness, what it means is, if you're a, a good teacher before you're born again, you should be an even better teacher now. If you're given to swearing, smoking, foul language, and vile, those things should start to dissipate. That is your outward witness, that people will see that something happened to you, the inward witness has happened, the outward manifestation of that witness is now beginning to take place and get hold, and got a hold of you, that you're now becoming a brand new being. And you should change. You shouldn't stay the same. These changes should take place in your heart and it should manifest in your body. So stay under the gospel of the grace of God. So if you're saved now under the gospel of the grace of God, I'm not sure how to present this. Anyway, try and, try and imagine this, okay? If you're saved under the grace of God tonight and tomorrow you go and join the Mormons because they are into baptism for salvation, the gospel of the, uh, um, the, gospel of the kingdom the gospel for um, baptism for salvation. I hope I'm not offending some of you that are still in the Mormon church. Next moment, you'll be fine. So if you're saved under the grace of God and you join the Mormon or any church that promotes baptism, you go back one step. And that gospel is out of date. Remember, all of this so far, we haven't mentioned anything about baptism. Because you... Although baptism, we still need, and we, uh, name has, has um, done a baptism service a few months ago, and that was beautiful, but you're not saved that way. It's an answer to a good conscience, but you're not saved through baptism. So if you are saved under the grace of God, join the Mormon or any church, right, that promote baptism as an agent for salvation, you're out of date. You go back one step, and 
And Paul said, anyone else who comes to the gospel, other than the gospel, I preach, let that person be a curse. So if you're saved under the grace of God and you join mm, the seven-day Adventists, note this, because they, they are really into their law and keeping the Sabbath and all that stuff, you go back two steps. They are worse off. I hope I'm not offending some of my Seventh-day Adventist family. But you can't be saved under the grace of God and, and, um, and join these churches. So remain saved under the grace of God. That's the only way you're going to make it to heaven. All right? I believe anyway. So we go back to what... Um, so remember, Peter is a Jew and it's very difficult for him to accept all this stuff but he came around. So my question is, did Peter refer to Paul's message? Yes, he did. Okay, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, please. 2 Peter chapter 3. Because Peter now, it's very hard for him, but he's promoting Paul's message. And it's very simple what he said. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 to 18. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him has written to you and verse 16 as also in all his epistles speaking in them of these things, which are some things are hard to understand which untaught and unstable people, uh, here we go, twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. So you better get this right from the from straight of the bat, because if you don't, you're going to mess up. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. And so what Peter, in essence, is saying, you better listen to what Paul is telling you, because if you don't, it'll be to your eternal ruin. It's simple. All right. So we're going to try and find some proof for all this gospel of the grace of God. So proof, proof, proof. Let's turn to Acts 18. Acts 18, verse 24 to 26. This is about Aquila and Priscilla. So, verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born, uh, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. He only knew about being baptized for the remission of your sins. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and tell him about the gospel of the grace of God. So that's the first proof. Second proof, Apollos in Acts 19. Just over the page, Acts 19, verse 1 to 6. And it happened while Apollos was in Corinth that Paul, having passed through, uh, Acts 19, 1-6, through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, 
did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Then Paul said to them, John indeed baptized in verse 4, baptized with baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him uh, who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid lay hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So you see there again, they, only, um, they have never heard, uh, so much as heard about the Holy Spirit. And so Paul was able to correct them and tell them about the gospel of the grace of God. So those are your two proofs, Apollos and Aquila and, and uh, Priscilla, or Priscilla and Aquila. All right. So in summary, in 1 Corinthians 15, 43 to 50, you don't have to read it, but I'll just, um, in closing, tell you what's going on here. Paul alluded to that, to the first Adam and the last Adam was the second Adam. So this is the, the uh, crux of it. So as far as God is concerned, there are only two men who have ever existed, Adam and Jesus. The first Adam and the second Adam, that is. Every other human being who has ever lived or ever will live is either part of the first Adam or part of the second Adam. So Adam and the, um, and the body of Jesus were both created by God directly and personally. They were both created without sin, as we all know. They did not have a fallen nature. The first Adam was tempted and fell. And King David uh, later said in uh, Psalm 51.5, and in the same way as we genetically uh, pass our physical traits to our offspring, or, so sin is, um, he was born, uh, he was conceived in sin. So we have, well, we all have a fallen nature. We are all born with the first Adam. That's why. And so in order to really escape the judgment of God later on, in order to have to pay, not to have to pay for the price of our own sins, in order to live forever, we have to be born of the second Adam. So you're either part of the first Adam or part of the second Adam. You're either part of the fallen race that you're born into or you're part of the saved race that you're now born again into. Does that make sense? Please remember that the moment you're born again, you have eternal life. And you see this in 1 John chapter 5. You can write the scripture down. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12 to 13. Verse 12, it says, he who, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Praise the Lord. There's not much more that I can tell you about the gospel of the grace of God, but it is a wonderful thing. So that's it. Thank you, family. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share the gospel of the grace of God, part one and part two. Praise the Lord.